Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. We are here for one huge weekend, and you may be saying, what in the world is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, One huge weekend is where we come together as a church. Now, the average person comes to church one every six weeks. So one out of six. So what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's make church a priority in our life. Maybe, maybe for you it is, maybe, maybe it's not one in every six. Maybe it's like one in every eight, or maybe this is the first time you've been back in a really long time. What if we just increased that number just a little bit? So what if it went from one in every six to one in every four? Maybe you're like, I come once a month. What if you came twice a month? We believe that when you get plugged into the local storehouse, when you're planted in God's church, you'll experience life-changing transformation through Jesus. And so that's why we're here this weekend. And I wanted to bring a message to you uh, because I want you to catch the heart of the house. See, if you don't catch the heartbeat of something, you'll know what they do. You just won't love what they love. So the reason why it's important for you to catch the heart that we have here is because we don't want you to just love what we do. We want you to love what we love. And we love the plans and purposes that God has for your life. We love the fact that there are, uh, and there's an invitation from God to partner with him in helping lost people meet Jesus. And so today, I want to deliver a message to you out of John chapter 4. And I'm going to really talk about our church, who we are, um, because I can't speak for every church. But here's what I want you to know. Every church is different. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's a bad thing, right? Like every church is different. Every pastor is different. Every leader is different. And so I want to deliver a message to you today to really talk about the heart of our house, to talk about why we do some of the things that we do, and really to just communicate that we are a church for all people. That no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter where you currently are in your faith journey, you can belong in this house because we create an environment for you to experience Jesus, and we're going to let God do the work. The reason why this is so important to me is because right after I gave my life to Jesus, I went to a local church uh, in the area, and it's not far from here, and it was like I had been saved for like six days. And so I was super excited to go to church, but the moment I got into the parking lot and I walked up to the door, they stopped me and said, hey, you can't come in. I was dressed pretty similar to this. I probably didn't have a jacket on. I just had a t-shirt, some jeans, and you know I had some Jordans on, right? So <laughs> had some shoes on, and they said, if you can't give God your best by dressing up, you're not welcomed in this place. And I left that day, and thankfully I had some other believers and some faithful followers of Jesus that were in my life that encouraged me that, hey, that's not how every place is. But my heart breaks that there are people who are trying to pursue Jesus, but his people get in the way of that. And so if you go with me to John chapter 4, we're going to open his word today, and I believe it's going to speak to us and change us. 
forever. So John chapter four, if you're not familiar with what's been going on in the text before this, Jesus has been doing quite a bit of ministry. uh, But the cool thing is he's not really doing it by himself. The religious leaders are incredibly frustrated with Jesus because they, they say that he's baptizing all these people, but he wasn't baptizing all these people. He was empowering the disciples to baptize people. Good leadership is that you're not doing the work, but you're empowering and equipping others to do it. Because you can make a little bit of an impact, but if you'll spend your life helping other people live out their purpose, you'll make an even greater one. That's what Jesus was doing. But they got mad at him, so he, being this is Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, if you're taking notes, if you're uh, looking at your Bible app right now, I want you to underline, he had to go through Samaria. The reason why I want you to underline that is because it's not true. If you look at the maps, if you look at the geographical location of the journey from Judea to Galilee, there is no reason why Jesus has to go through Samaria. He doesn't have to at all. He's choosing to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because Jesus only does what the Father tells him to do. He only goes where the Father tells him to go. And what God was doing, it was orchestrating an opportunity for a woman who was broken to have an encounter with Jesus that would change her life forever. So when it says he had to leave Judea and return, uh, he had to go through Samaria, if you look at the map, he didn't have to, but he's choosing to. He had to because he was willing to do what God was instructing him to do. And I pray we're a church that's willing to go out of our way, that's willing to get a little bit inconvenienced, to go the distance, to go the extra mile, if it means that we see people meet Jesus. To give you a geographical picture of this, it's like saying we're going to go from Mount Pleasant to Harrisburg, but we have to go to Locust to get there. You're like, no, you don't. 49 is a straight shot, and there's a Chick-fil-A, you know? No, but he had to. Because on the other side of every act of your obedience is a broken person who desperately needs Jesus. And what you don't see sometimes when you start the journey is where you're going to end up at the destination. So Jesus chooses to go through Samaria, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sahar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from a long walk, sat wearily beside the well. It was about noontime. You can circle that. It's going to be important in a second. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because he had sent his disciples uh, away. They had gone into the village to buy some Chipotle. The woman, it doesn't say that. It says to buy some food. I was just trying to see if you were following along. Three of you laughed. It's okay to laugh in church. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. The woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. So she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, when we read this passage of text, because we're not ingrained in the culture that they had back then, we would just go, oh, they didn't have anything to do with each other, right? No big deal. 
It's a very big deal. See, in this time period, Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with one another at all. And all of this traces back to some wars that took place, but Samaritans were considered pagan half-Jews. They were considered people who were filthy, who were disgusting, who were not able to be loved by God or transformed by God. These were people who these Jewish people had nothing to do with. So it's even stranger that Jesus had to go through Samaria. But what Jesus is doing is communicating to us that there is no cultural, social, economic barrier that God's love doesn't transform. That he's willing to break down walls if it means that people can encounter him. And so when he's having this conversation with the Samaritan woman, she is just flabbergasted at the fact that Jesus would even want to have a conversation with her. But this is the truth of the gospel that Jesus came for those people. That there are people who you and I refuse to have anything to do with, that we refuse to look at, that we refuse to engage with, and those are the very people who Jesus came and died for. I pray that we're not a church who just wants to see people who look like us, think like us, act like us. No, we're gonna be a church for all people because Jesus came for all people. All right, 9 a.m. I'm preaching 34% better than your respondent, so we're going to pick it up. I know you're tired, but you got an extra hour of sleep. Isn't that how that works? I don't know. Fall back, spring forward, fall forward. I can't even keep up anymore. The point is, Jesus came for those people. And you say, Pastor, this sounds really familiar. You've been teaching this a lot lately. If you look back to what I taught several weeks ago, it was that God is for us and them. And you know, why, why in the world does this keep coming up? Because I think this is what's different from, about our church than everywhere else. Is that we're not just a church for the white, evangelical, conservative, high school football-loving Republican. Like, I'm, we're a church for all people. And I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. What I'm saying is, if we think Jesus only came for us and people who look like us, we've missed the gospel. Jesus came for all people, no matter their issues, no matter their broken condition. The beauty of Mark 2.17 says that Jesus did not come for the well, for the well don't need a physician. He came for the sick and to save sinners. He came for people who were broken. He came for people who were hurting. And that's exactly what Jesus invites us to do as well. Jesus comes and he's not afraid to sit beside those people because he knows that his proximity to them might risk his reputation, but their reconciliation to him is worth it. That's why some of us never experience making a difference. It's because we're not willing to risk what we have to experience God's purpose in our life. So Jesus sits at that well with this woman who shows up at noontime because she was disgraced. Noontime is not when you go to draw water from a well because it's hot. You go in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening. We're going to find out in a second that she has this relationship issue that Jesus is going to confront and he's going to speak to really powerfully But before he ever does that, Scripture wants to make sure you know she shows up to the well expecting that no one will be there, and that's exactly where God met her. I think that's the hope of the local church. 
that sometimes we come into a place and we don't even know what we're going to get, but God meets us right there, and he changes us from the inside out. Jesus came for those people. The very people that you've discarded are the people that Jesus died for, and that's what we have to remember. So we keep reading in the text, and John 4 says this, that Jesus replied to her, if you only knew. And I just want to pause for a moment. I know I'm not going to read through a whole verse before I talk a little bit. But there's some of you here today who are stuck in some sort of bondage, some sort of struggle. You're stuck because you feel like you're never actually satisfied in life and you've been thinking about surrendering your life to God, but, but, but there's just something that holds you back. And I would just look at you with the same thing that Jesus looks at this woman and says, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift God had for you, If you only knew the love and the grace and the mercy that he has. He looks at her and says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? See, she doesn't get what Jesus is talking about yet. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replies to her with this. Anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Here's the second thing. We believe that only Jesus brings lasting change. When Jesus is sitting down having a conversation with this woman at the well, he looks at her and says, hey, if you drink from this well, you'll get thirsty again. And the same is true with us, and the same is true when we feed our indulgences in this world world. Hey, if you drink from the well of pornography, you will be thirsty again. If you try and fill the void of, of, of not having an identity and you try and just buy your way into people's approval, you will be thirsty again. If you fall into the trap of comparison and people pleasing, you will be thirsty again. No matter what you seek after or are longing for, you will be thirsty again if you're not dipping into the well that Jesus provides. You're going to get thirsty again. And we know this. We, we know this up here because every time we sin, every time we fall short, we were going after something that we thought was going to satisfy. And at the end of it, you only ended up wanting more. It never fully satisfies. And sometimes we judge people because their cravings look different than ours. Here's the reality. Apart from Jesus, nothing will ever satisfy. You can look in the world, you can look for fame, you can look for fortune, but until you fully surrender your life and dip into the well of living water that he provides, you will be thirsty again. But he doesn't just leave us in this moment of going, hey, you're going to be thirsty again. He says, but if you'll drink... If you'll take the cup, if you'll drink from the water that I give, you will experience
experience everlasting life. And what happens inside of you is there's going to be a fresh bubbling spring within you. You've been looking for cravings to be satisfied, but only Jesus can fulfill the space that you're trying to fill in your life. That void that you've been trying, that hollowness, that emptiness will never be satisfied with things of this world. When you surrender your life to Jesus, it's this fresh bubbling spring within you. And it not only gives you eternal life, but can I tell you, it gives you joy. Gives you passion. It gives you purpose. And it gives you meaning. I love that Jesus is sitting at a well because a, a well is a place where people come to be refreshed. They come to get water. And I believe that the church should be the same way. That it's a place where people come in and be refreshed and fulfilled. That they get to taste and see that God really is good. People ask all the time, like, Pastor, when are you going to teach on politics? I'm not. You want to know why? Because we're a well, not a wall. We're a place where you come in and be refreshed, not a place that builds up walls to keep people out. You, you want politics, just scroll down your social media feed. Yeah. It ain't coming from me. Because we're a well, yeah. not a wall. And here's the cool part about a well. A well doesn't create water, it only facilitates what's already there. Ooh, that's, good. that's why we don't have to create this thing. We just facilitate what God is already trying to do, knowing that he is the only one who brings lasting life change. So Jesus has this encounter with this woman. He offers her this living water. He's offering her salvation, and he's offering her the Holy Spirit. And after this invitation, she looks at him and goes, heck yeah, I want that. I'd love to not come to this well again. Now, now Jesus in this moment, she, she's approaching this from a selfish perspective. I'd love to have this gift so that I never have to come to this well again. God can use your selfish motives. He wants to have a relationship with you. So Jesus looks at her when she says, I'd love to have that living water. And he says, perfect, do this. Go and call your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you're right when you say you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Surely you are correct when you say you don't have a husband. And she goes, Oh, you must be a prophet, right? Oh, oh, you, you know everything I've ever done, and yet you still chose to sit at that well with me? The same is true for us. I don't know what your sin issue is. I don't know what your struggle is, but here's what I do know. No matter what you've done or been through, Jesus still chooses to come to the well and sit beside you and offer you that gift of salvation. And so she gets a little bit uncomfortable and she starts talking about worship and where we're going to do this and where we're going to do that. And Jesus ends up saying, I am the Messiah. And at that moment, it clicks for her. She realizes that the thing that Jesus is offering her is not actual water, it's himself. That he is able to change her from the inside out. And so scripture says, I can't unpack all of John chapter 4 because I'm only halfway through my notes and I got 15 minutes. So what happens is Jesus looks at her and says, I'm the Messiah. And at that moment, it clicks for her. 
And scripture says that she leaves her water jars behind and she heads back to the village. So the very thing that was a part of her old identity is what she's dropping. And now she's going into the town. And the reason why she leaves at such a frantic pace is because the disciples have come back and they're not willing to say it, but they're wondering, why is Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman? Chances are pretty high that there's been people who have come into the doors of our church and you're like, why are they here? Weren't they at the club last night? Now they at church? Perfect. I'm glad they're here. We've got to be really careful of criticizing what God is trying to do in somebody's life, not knowing what they're currently going through. So we don't criticize next steps. We celebrate them. I'm glad you showed up to church. You showed up to church drunk. I'd rather you be drunk in the house of God than to be sitting on your couch looking at something you shouldn't be. I'd rather you be in God's presence with your issue than to be far from God wondering if anybody actually cares. So then the disciples come back and they've come back. They don't want to talk to Jesus about why he's having a conversation with this woman, but they're urging Jesus to eat something. And so look at the text, John chapter four, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. And they said, well, did somebody bring you food? right? Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. If you want to know where purpose and fulfillment comes from, it comes from doing the work of God, period. Some of us are trying to find nourishment in our jobs, in social media, in our friendships. If you really want to be nourished, it comes from doing God's will in your life. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is where my nourishment comes from. But I love what he ends it with, from doing the will of the Father and from finishing his work. So here's his work that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if every single person on this planet has not bowed their knee to Jesus, then the work isn't finished for us, church. There's still more to do. So he says it comes from doing the will of the Father and finishing his work. And he says, you know the saying, four months between between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. And in just a couple of verses, what we're going to see is this singular woman who had an encounter with Jesus goes into the village and she's telling everyone about the man who knew everything that she ever did. He was not only a prophet, he's the Messiah. He knew everything she had done, but he loved her despite it. And she gathers the entire village to come hear about Jesus. So Jesus says, here's what it looks like. There's four months between planting and harvesting. But I need you to wake up and look around because there's thousands of people who are topping this hill with a woman at the front who are coming to hear and experience the life-changing power of Jesus. And you want to sit around and argue about food and nourishment and why Jesus is saving those people. I want you to open your eyes because it's harvest season. 
It's not four months between planting and harvest. It's been 40 minutes. She went and gathered all those people, and now there's thousands of people coming to hear about Jesus. All you need to do is wake up and look around. Wake up to the fact that God has been calling and drawing people to himself, and if we would be focused on the harvest, we would get to reap it. Some of us never reap harvest because we don't even think it's harvest time. Wake up. It's harvest season, baby. We got some work to do. Look around. There's probably people in your life right now who are right on the edge of giving their life to Jesus, but you just sit quietly at your desk. Wake up. Look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is what? People. People brought to eternal life. It's not money, it's not fame, it's not success. You want to know what a win is? Your friends and family got saved. You say, well, how does that impact now? It might not, but it impacts eternity. It changes their eternity, and it's credited to your spiritual bank account where we're storing up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy, where people can't break in and steal. The beauty of harvest is that people experience Jesus. And then he says this, what joy awaits both the harvester and the planter alike. So many of us are looking for fulfillment. But what we need to be doing is doing the will of God. And so the third thing I've got for you is this. We do this so that people can encounter Jesus for themselves. You say, well, what is this? This looks like showing up early on a Sunday morning to prepare the environment where people experience Jesus. How many of y'all are early morning people? Come on, we don't like you, right? right? (laughs) I'm like one of those people who, uh, I gotta get a couple cups of coffee in me, I got to have, you know, my new kick is this Celsius drink, you know, shout out if you want sponsorship. No, I'm just kidding. But, right, I got to have some caffeine. I got to be, be super energized and, and charged because when I first wake up in the morning, I don't want to talk to nobody. I don't want to see nobody. I'm not a morning person. But, you know, every Sunday we get up and we come here. I'm so excited to be here because I know harvest looks like people encountering Jesus and having eternity changed forever. We do this so that people can encounter Jesus. This looks like standing in the parking lot when it's pouring down rain, holding an umbrella, so that when people get out of their car and they walk up to the front door, they knew someone cared enough to go the extra mile to serve them. And then they encountered Jesus and it changed their life forever. It looks like making a cup of coffee because half of us aren't morning people. Come on, somebody. And the only way we're going to encounter Jesus is if we wake up a little bit. Doing this looks like serving in kids' ministry, which is not babysitting. It's establishing anchors in the hearts of children that they might grow up and know God. The saddest passage of Scripture comes from Judges chapter 3 which says that the entire generation after Joshua grew up not knowing the love or the laws of God. That's the saddest verse in all of Scripture. Because good leadership means that it makes it from generation to generation. 
For some of you, you're gifted to serve with kids, but you've never took, taken that step. You need to. That's why we do this. We do this, and what this looks like is using your gifts to play instruments and sing and create environments where people are ushered into the presence of God. Doing this looks like serving on a camera so that church online can continue to move forward. Do you know right now we've seen just about the same number of salvations in person as we are online? That's incredible. The gospel is advancing. Doing this looks like serving as in a small group leader position. There are so many different opportunities. It looks like serving in our student ministry. Because can I tell you, come on, students, high school, middle school, they need Jesus. Yes. And all the parents said amen. Right? Some of y'all are like, they might need an exorcist too. <laughs> we do this. Week in and week out. Not for us, but for them. This church doesn't exist for us. It exists for the people who aren't here yet. We do this so that people can encounter Jesus. And look at what John chapter 4, verse 39 says. It says, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus Because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. But when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have experienced him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. This is a lot of work. But the reason why we do it is so that people can experience him for themselves. Because here's what salvation is. It is not hearing about Jesus. It's experiencing him. It's placing your own belief and trust in him. And what they're saying to this woman is, your testimony was incredible. And I would encourage you to share Jesus with as many people as you can. But sharing about Jesus does not save people. Only Jesus saves people. So we create the environment where they can come in and they can experience him. And when they do that, here's what they're going to recognize. Now we know that he's indeed the savior of the world. And he's not just the savior of the world, he's the savior of my own soul. That's the heart. The heart is that we would create environments where people could experience Jesus. It's been the heart. I used to teach John 4 before we ever planted Propel. When we were traveling, I preached a message very similar to this one all across the world to say, hey, we want to be a place that creates environments where people can encounter Jesus and experience him for themselves. Because when they do, what's going to happen naturally is that they're going to go out into their community and they're going to tell people about how good God is and they're going to bring people into the place where they can experience God. And as they experience God, they'll believe in him. And when they believe in him, the cycle just continues to repeat over and over and over again. That's the heart of this house. It's to create environments where people can experience Jesus. 
You say, well, what does that look like? Whatever it looks like right now, but here's the thing. We don't fall in love with the method. We fall in love with the mission. Can I tell you, I never saw a pandemic coming. I feel pretty in tune with the Lord, but he just didn't let me in on that one. Some of our methods changed. The mission didn't. Five years from now, church will absolutely look different than it does right now. The methods will change, but the mission doesn't. So here's the last thing I have for you. If you've experienced Jesus, who will you bring so that they can experience him for themselves? One woman's encounter with Jesus led to the salvation of an entire village. And the same is possible today. But it doesn't start with us looking at thousands of people. It starts with one conversation. So who do you know? Who do you know that needs Jesus? And will you bring them into an environment where they can experience him for themselves? Because we believe that it only takes one encounter with Jesus to change your life forever. For some of you in here today, you need that encounter. When we talked about the woman who was at the well, who was stuck in her relationship issues, you're like, hey, my, rela- my issues might not be relationships, but here's what I know. I don't have that living water within me. Here's the good news. Jesus came and died to set you free to give you living water so that you could experience new life. And the only thing you have to do is place your belief and trust in him. So with every head bowed, every eye closed for a moment across the room today, maybe you're watching online and you need to receive Jesus as your savior as well. I wanna lead you through a prayer. And the words of this prayer are not special, it's, it's just the posture that we get before God to say, hey, I'm making the decision to surrender it all to you. Before we pray this prayer, if you'd say, hey, I need to make that decision to surrender my life to Jesus, would you just indicate that by lifting your hand for a moment, saying, that's me. See that. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody prays alone, we all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.